Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't, But You Do. We share stories and conversations about people that are going above and beyond, people that are exceptional. It's not just hospitality, but it's in all aspects of life. Today, we have a remarkable gentleman to be able to speak with. I've heard his name for years and years and years through some mutual friends and colleagues, and now it is an honor to be able to talk to this gentleman. I will read a little bit about his bio before we start. His name is James McBride. He is the partner and CEO of Nihi Hotels and Resorts. There's one in Samba, there's Development Costa Rica, and another location called Roti. We will learn all about those. He's recognized as a one to watch in Bloomberg Business Week's Bloomberg 50. He was awarded Independent Hotelier of the World by Hotels Magazine. He's led some of the world's most important, influential properties around the globe. Not only does he come from Ritz-Carlton with for 14 years of experience, he was also the general manager of the Grosvenor House of London's Park Lane. He was appointed by Rosewood Hotels as managing director of the Carlisle in New York. And at one point, he was also responsible for all of the Caribbean properties under Rosewood Hotels. It's a very interesting story that we're going to learn about. He is known for his creativity, his clever marketing techniques, and his exceptional leadership. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Bart. Honored to be here, truly. It's going to be so much fun. And while I'm so excited to be able to jump into your bio and learn more about you, and I have the tendency to do this, I sometimes forget to introduce myself. Now, I know it is my podcast, but it's okay. This is Bart Berkey, the founder and CEO of Most People Don't. Just had to insert that in there. Very important. You are a global traveler, a global influencer. Can you tell our listeners, how did it all start? I know you grew up in South Africa, but tell us about your childhood. Did you think you always wanted to be in hospitality? What was that like? Uh, uh, honored and thank you for the introduction. Um, I'm humbled by it and, and and here today because of the extraordinary people that have guided me and that have been a part of this journey with me. Uh, and that started with my mother, to be honest, and father uh, as key parts of uh, my upbringing in South Africa. I, I think the uh, instilling of excellence and taking care of people, manners, respectfulness, all came from my parents and my mother and extraordinary attention to detail uh, from my mother as well. And, you know, then went to boarding school. Uh, at boarding school, I went to an old boys boarding school. And in those days, we used to have what were called socials, where uh, all the ladies would come from another all-girls boarding school and would have a party once a term. And I was uh, in charge of the events at that point. And I think I knew I wanted to go into the business because I arranged every lady to have a rose. And I was displeased that the toilet paper and the toilet wasn't two-ply. It was, it was one-ply. And some of my friends from those days will still comment on that and say, you were, you were destined to get into the business at that time because you just felt it so innately within yourself. So I think it just, I always wanted to, and I was fortunate enough to, to travel a little bit with my parents and stay in some hotels, and I just loved it. And uh, it was a, I always knew I wanted to be in the hotel business, and that was the journey. Yeah. And what I'm finding, James, is that there's a lot of very special people that I speak with other guests on the show, and they mentioned the same thing, that it almost was innate. It came from within, because I always kind of ask, well, was your were your parents in the hotel world? No. Well, did you ever, you know, did you ever have to work in a restaurant? No, but it was something that just kind of came from within. What did your, your family do, if I may ask? from a business lens? Did they work for individuals? No, my father had his own business. Uh, He was in a general supply wholesale business at that time, where those days in in Southern Africa, you had had travelers that sold pots, pans, anything under the sun Mm -hmm. to general stores all over uh, South Africa. And the hub of it was, came from from his company. So it was sort of like a, 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 let's say a Costco, but a very small one, but no one coming to the store everything getting shipped out because there was no internet from orders that were taken from people on the road. So completely 
different than than anything remotely that I wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to be in the hotel business. And and I think just looking at it, a, a lot of people who want to be in the hotel business, when they get into the hotel business, they're like, oh, my God, this is work. You mean I got to work on weekends? You mean I got to work seven days a week? So when I went to hotel school and started um, as, a, as an intern at the Royal in Durban, my friends were all having the best of times, having three months off during the year, and I was working. My first year was in the kitchen. I worked in every area, and uh, I think – uh, many thought that I would crack under the pressure, but I spoke Zulu and I was able to get along with everyone because it's all about people at the end of the day mm-hmm. and navigate and thrived. And in that environment, I absolutely loved it. And getting through that, I, I knew this was the only thing that I wanted to do. Yeah. James, tell us about your mother. Uh, my mother's an extraordinary, very disciplined. I mean, to, to this day, she's 95 now. And, uh, and she just had a hip replacement, actually and uh, lives at a place called the K-Stone Durban in South Africa. And uh, you better be on your toes when you see her. She is, uh, she's, the, she's the boss of, of the K-Stone, her, her retirement home, and keeps everyone in check, and uh, is very, is very uh, driven by standards, Bart. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, whether that be manners, whether that be fundamental standards that you operate towards to, and, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong, uh, uh, if you're wrong, apologize, recognize it, and just very structured. And uh, but has extraordinary taste. Uh, is a very beautiful woman and has a great sense of humor. So yeah. when you put that all, but you better be on your toes, and that's yeah. that's the, the the key part about it all. Um, and yeah. and you know, as she her, her motto is manners make it man, and uh, it's it's very true. And I think manners and core. Uh, fundamentals of decorum are, are things that are disappearing in the world and that need to be upheld. And she she does her best to to hold that up, if you will. Well, I, I'm so happy to hear that she is doing well at 95 and speedy recovery wishes, of course. You shared a couple of words that I just wanted to bring up. Respect, standards, manners, taste, decorum. That so aligns in the world of hospitality, in the world of luxury. Did you have brothers and sisters growing up? Yes, I did. I was the youngest, though. Uh, my sister's 12 years older than me, my brother 10. So uh, they sort of grew up in a different generation. I'm close to both of them now, but as a child, my, they were already away at school. Mm-hmm. And uh, so didn't have a really big influence on me, but yes, to answer your question. Yeah. And anyone else in hospitality, James? No, nobody. Okay. All right. So here you are. You go to boarding school. Um, you are taking on additional responsibilities. You're organizing the social events. You're complaining about the thickness of the toilet paper. <laughs> After boarding school, is that when you went to university? No, no. I went uh, in South Africa to go to the army then. I went to the army for two years. Okay. Uh, I was a gunner in the artillery then thereafter. So I think I was 17 when I went to the army. Then it's uh, 18, 19, 20. I, then what we did was you 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 work uh, and you go to school. You work for three months, go to school for a little bit like the Swiss system. Mm-hmm. And what, But your training is all done in one hotel, which was the Royal Hotel in Durban. So you work in every department and then you go to hotel school in Johannesburg and you sort of do both at the same time for a three-year period. That's what I did then. And... I then went to Hong Kong because I wanted to go to Hong Kong and I wanted to look for a job. And I was so intrigued because I always the best hotels in the world are in Hong Kong. And it's an amazing place. And I went to the region in Hong Kong and I always had enough confidence, luckily, to to see the general manager or the resident manager. And I ended up meeting Bill Black, who was a very kind man. And uh, he said, well, James, this is going to be too difficult for you to come to Hong Kong, etc. Why did you why did you think about going to America? And uh, at that point, someone of you might, may know, my boss at the Royal was Ali Kisiki. Ali, Ali uh, you know, was instrumental at the peninsula and has had a very big, big career and was my mentor and he was in America. So I then went to America and started to look for a job. That's how that evolved. And tell us about your first job in America. My first job in America was at the Carlsbad and Beach and Tennis Resort. I was having a great, great difficulty finding a job that was, it, it was just delicate to get a visa 
And uh, I always went to see the, the general manager's assistant and, and different people and tried many, many different tactics of which I've got many stories to tell about the process. And eventually got a job at a place called the Carlsbad and Beach and Tennis Resort, which was the first timeshare resort in America. Hmm. And I worked behind the front desk and these people used to come and stay in the hotel and then be sold timeshare. And it was just the beginning of the timeshare era. And there was the gentleman, the general manager at that point was a man called George Hochfilzer, who, who saw that I worked hard. And he said, you know, I think you uh, would do well in a hotel that I'm going to open with the same owner called the Horton Park Plaza in San Diego. Mm. And he hired me as his assistant. We went and opened that hotel in the Gaslamp District in San Diego. A at that time, I wanted to return and do some studies at summer school in Cornell. And I applied. And after I'd worked for a year, I was driving up to San Francisco in my white Ford Escort. My parents were visiting us, and I said, the Ritz-Carlton Rancho Mirage had just opened. It was the middle of summer, and the rate was like 80 bucks. And I said, we can, we can swing that West Stop in, in Palm Springs on the way. And it was sweltering hot. It's because it was off-season. And Wolfgang Baer, may he rest in peace, was the general manager. And I, I said, can I come and see you, Mr. Baer? And he said, sure. And I said, this is my background. I love what I see here. This is the most beautiful hotel. Could I possibly get a job when I'm finished at Cornell? He said, I'll introduce you to Ziggy Brower. But he rest in peace to at the Ritz-Carlton, Boston. Mm -hmm. I went and had a meeting with him and started off as a management trainee in probably 1988 at the Ritz-Carlton in Boston. And that's how that journey began. Wow. I mean, what a story. James, it seemed like you were extremely confident as as a young professional, did that come naturally? I, I, I think yeah, uh, I think it was instilled in me. I just think when you go to boarding school and you go to the army and you, mm -hmm. you know, I left home at, when I was pretty much, you don't leave home at, as, at 11 years old when you go to boarding school. Yes. And, uh, you know, the boarding schools are sound, they're rough. Though. In those days, they were, they were no uh, cakewalk. They were tough places to be and they toughen you up. And, but I think being in the army, where you really are, uh, you are, you have to survive. Mm -hmm. And it teaches you extraordinary discipline and people skills, how to get along with everyone from all walks of life. And it was a, it was a key, key learning part for me as well. Mm -hmm. So I think it just naturally gives you, gives you confidence. And, uh, you know, I was always taught that, you know, rejection is a man's best friend. And if you get rejected, you continue, you continue persevering. And I think that's just a general story in life through through my career is, uh, you know, I've had many failures too. And you you keep on pushing and you keep on trying. And I always try to encourage that with uh, with teams and, and people within our organization that, you know, often rather ask for forgiveness and permission if you want to try something. Because if you don't try, you don't know. And you have to make mistakes to learn. Always be adventurous. Always be innovative and always try new things, you know. Yeah, and the sense again that I'm getting from you, James, is that you would try these things and it was okay if they were telling you no because you were going to learn from it. You learned your survival skills in part at the Army, in part during boarding school. Yeah, You were not going to let anything slow you down and you had the confidence to keep working hard in order to be successful. In the Army, did you naturally gravitate toward a leadership position or a leadership role? No, uh, but I should have. It's um, I. I should have gone to officer school. I, I I didn't. It was the basic training was really tough, mm. and um, I I felt the need to, but no, I didn't. And it's it's, it's a regret I have actually, mm. as I I think it would have been a, a good experience for me. So the answer is no. I didn't gravitate to a natural leadership position. Um, I think my my leadership. Uh, grew as I got older mm -hmm. and um, and you know I, I definitely assumed that role more uh, with with greater experience and wisdom. You still can you still hear me, James? Yes, I can. Okay. Yes, I can. Got it. Got it. Just uh, something was delayed here for a moment. Yeah, and you know I never want anyone to have regrets about anything. And look at you. <laughs> right, CEO and co-founder of a hotel company, um, Bloomberg 50 being recognized from Business Week, Independent Hotelier of the World, 
And when you list not only the 14, 15 years with Ritz-Carlton, but all of the other hotel organizations and hotels that you had led, it worked out pretty darn good, James McBride. You know, it's been, I, I, I'm very blessed. It's been a, it's been a, a great journey. I think it has come at the uh, expense of um, family too, a little bit. I could have been a, uh, I've been a good father. I could have been a better father. Mm-hmm. As uh, I've always really been driven and focused on work, my son and I are very, very close. And uh, just my geographical travels don't allow it to see Chloe that much. But when you know she just went to Sumba for the first time with her mother, I wasn't there. Just I wanted her to experience it so that she wants to desperately come back, riding, surfing, just being in paradise, and it, it's worked. So she can't wait to come back, and I'm going to see her next week in in uh, in New York. I but no, yeah, it's been, can, uh, it, from, from, from that perspective, uh, yeah. it, it, you know, I could have done better, but I have no regrets when it comes to that. It's I, I've been very, very blessed, and I've already lived maybe three lives in one. It's been yeah, a, a that, great that's what, it, that, that's what it seems like, right? When I read your bio, I was like, oh, my goodness. This gentleman has certainly seen so much and experienced so much. Before we hit record officially for the broadcast, you did share your son is finishing school in Boston. He's how yeah, old? Yeah, he just... He's uh, he is 23, just graduated from BU uh, with economics, and uh, he is uh, moving to Miami. Well, and uh, he amuses he amuses me because he is in he's in cannabis, but he calls it corporate. People say, "What do you do?" So he says, "I'm in corporate cannabis," and I'm like, "Great!" But corporate cannabis is actually a good business. He he worked for a company called Ethos, and he's extremely knowledgeable, and it's a massive business. But I really enjoy the way he, the way he describes it because <laughs> it makes it sound very official. And you, I watch people's faces. They say, oh, Sterling, what do you do? Well, I'm in corporate cannabis. And then you see them like freeze for a moment because everyone gets a little bit edgy about it. Yeah, yeah, but it's it all has, good. has a nice ring to it. And your daughter, Chloe, is, you said, six years old? Yes, yeah, six years old. Six years That's old. Right. Okay, incredible. Uh, so I want to get, you know, when when I'm asking you some of these initial questions, James, you were referencing so many different people, general managers, assistant GMs, people that I'm assuming served to be in part your mentor. Yes. Does that still continue to play after achieving so much already in your career? Do you still have individuals that you're learning from? That are teaching you and guiding you. I'm I'm always learning, and um, and I can be learning from anyone. I, I think one of the the key learnings in in my life was I in the first three months of COVID I was I was stuck in Sumba, uh, which was uh, obviously a, a wonderful blessing at the, at the end of it all, as it was a great privilege. But I think that the 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 pure the simplicity and emotion of the Sumbanese people have very little. Um, you know, Chris, Chris Birch, who is an instrumental part in my life now and for the last 10 years, uh, is an extraordinary human being, a very generous, kind person. And, you know, maybe they were given $50 a month at that point, but the gratitude and the appreciation and everything that they stood by just, just evoked so much to me that the simple life of a little boy rolling a wheel in the street or, uh, making believe of some game that they may be playing, they actually are fundamentally happier than most people in the world. Right. And that simplicity is really, really a core to life. And simplicity and understanding the small the, the small things in life that are important teach you so much. So I learned a great deal as a human being. I then landed in New York after three months and uh I went to a place on the Upper East Side and a bowl of chili was $30 and whatever. And it was like Eli, it was at bars, And it just, it was like, oh my God, this is just, I don't, the, the dichotomies of these different worlds are so crazy. Yes. And uh, in so many ways, the simplicity of their life and their happiness is they've got it right and we've got it wrong. And I, I just evaluating all of these things as to where uh, you look at life through a different lens. Yeah. And did, did that happen? With your involvement with the people of Somba and the development, or was it beginning to happen 
beforehand, looking at the places that you've lived, right? Right now you live in Lisbon and you had been in New York and you had been in Boston and you had been in Southern California and Caribbean. Did that start to change as you evolved as a person or yeah, did it? Yeah, I, yeah. Yes, uh, I, I think that the, the, the great deep learning was in Sumba because the, it's so pure. Mm -hmm. And just for the just just for the audience, I mean, Sumba is the size of Jamaica, the size of Massachusetts. It's an hour east of Bali. It's called the Forgotten Island. It has a population of seven hundred thousand. It's massive, and it's tribal, and it's a Maripu religion where people still uh, worship through talking to to animals. Your currency is buffalo. Your wealth is measured in in, in pigs and horses and mm -hmm. and buffalo. And this is all very real. That makes this makes understanding their lives. But then it resonated to me growing up growing up in Africa where dowry of cows was the same uh, for when you got married in South Africa and tribal living. The Zulus are very tribal and the Sumanese are very tribal. So through this journey that I had as to where when I was at the Carlisle and, and Chris came to live at the Carlisle when him and Tori got, div got divorced and I got to know Chris mm -hmm. and then I went to YTL and then ended up when Chris called me and said, you know, I, I found this beautiful place in Sumba. And I said, where is Sumba? And this journey evolved yeah. to where you've, you've had this extraordinary training from your upbringing in Africa to your business training to, to when I finished working for YTL, sending me to, to Harvard Business School, to, to opening 22nd and M when Marriott were buying Ritz-Carlton. So the playbook that's been written to end up back in the jungle is, is, is unbelievable. And yeah. uh, it prepared me. Yeah, it, you know, and I had not put that together just until now. That you grew up in South Africa, the tribal living, the aspect of simplicity through all of these luxurious experiences, and back to the jungle. Ah, uh, you know, there's so much that we can learn, and I'll share just a couple of things with you and with our listeners. Right before the pandemic, uh, we bought a travel trailer. And at the time, um, both of our kids were still living at home. They're, um, one, Our daughter lives in Hawaii now, and our son just returned from the Czech Republic. But we got the travel trailer because we wanted to spend simplistic time together. Some of the greatest memories are using that trailer, that little RV being pulled by our Jeep, was parking at the side of the road at sunset. And we had everything that we needed there. We had our family. We had our two dogs. We had food and water. And we had a sunset. That's all we needed. And then you come back home. We live in Northern Virginia outside of D.C. still. And you just see the amount of stuff. The amount of stuff. We recently had a, a flood in our basement. And some things were damaged. And we are just bagging up the things that are no longer useful but the most brilliant part, James, is we're not going to miss those things. No. We're not. We're not going to miss them. Uh, so I, I definitely, uh, I'm feeling exactly what you're sharing, the simplistic aspect, and then even going back to your mother's mantras about the simplicity and discipline and structure. I really think that you are, are uh, you and your company. Um, mm -hmm you're really on to something which then leads into the conversation and thank you for explaining a little bit about Samba and congratulations for the property uh, Nihi to be awarded the best uh, hotel in the world for several years I guess and that was uh, Travel and Leisure magazine right best hotel in the world just amazing how um how do you think from a simplicity lens yet a luxury lens at the property. And I know you're in development and we'll talk about that momentarily. How are you able to extend luxury while still thinking about the value of simplicity? And is it represented at the resort? Uh, I couldn't agree with everything you said more about the RV and everything, but, and, uh, and simplicity. Yes, it is. It is represented at me. And I think, the beauty of the beauty of this is uh first thing to start off, Chris and I are uh, amazing partners. And we both have exactly the same vision and both want 
exactly the same, uh, what can I say, uh, outcome, which is for every customer to have an extraordinary experience in every way. I think just another important part for the audience is we are very philanthropic. The Sumba Foundation raises close to a million dollars a year, uh, underwritten by Chris and, and a lot of our guests who contribute, eradicating malaria um, and educating children and teaching them English and working on malnutrition. And that key is a very, very big part of, of our business mantra in everything that we do. Um, the simplicity of everything is... If I wrote a book, it would be called Fire Toast. And, and John Harper will laugh when he hears this. Fire Toast is, I love bread cooked on fire. I like anything cooked on fire. Mm. And Ni Sumba is a culmination of my life because whenever you have toast at Ni Sumba, it's cooked on fire. And wherever I wanted to have toast cooked on a fire in big cities around the world, obviously it wasn't possible. So this journey has led to uh, a wild, raw place to where you can essentially have a vision and execute it very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And the fundamentals are it's taking a little bit of Africa, a little bit of the Caribbean, a little bit of our journeys around life where you picked up in a safari vehicle, mm -hmm. where you can feel the wind. And if you are paying two or $3,000 a night, which many people do, and you get wet in the, in the safari vehicle, so what? Right. Because you need to get wet. Yes. Because when you get wet and the children are saying da and smiling at you, you actually forgot that you got wet. Yeah. And if you got wet and you're not happy about it, you're actually the wrong type of person to have come to us. Right. Because fundamentally, the people that come to Sumba, interestingly enough, because you have to fly from Bali and it's another hour of flight and it's not on the greatest airlines, it's almost self-editing. Mm. Because you you have to be an adventurer. Mm. And and there are many adventurers, and it's not that ad adventurous. I'm just saying you have to have a sense of adventure yes. because you're going a little bit to the unknown, and we're not the unknown anymore because, you know, we have a huge digital presence and, you know, more and more people know about us. And But that, that self-editing is to where people, many come on honeymoon. I want them to be having dinner for the first night together but for the, the nights thereafter, they're integrated and people are together. And it forms sort of a, a union and a bond of, of all of the people that are there that are very like-minded and just have an amazing time and become friends forever. Right. So the, the, your, your customer base and the emotion that's connected to the people of Sumba, the environment, the natural element, when the music's loud, if you want to dance on the bar, you dance on the bar. The first people to dance on the bar are the employees. Because the employees are spirited and they want you to feel the energy and to basically have fun. And how often do we hear big companies and places saying, you know what, we actually want you to have fun. We want you to have fun. Everything is so serious of a concierge for this and water and a pillow and up and down and everything else. But the fundamentals of where you are digging into the basics of yeah. actually having fun and engaging with the people and the geographical opulence of Sumba and everything else are the fundamentals. Now, do we have beautiful sheets? Of course. Do we have beautiful rooms? Yes. Very, very comfortable sheet, but not over the top. Mm -hmm. All of them have the right amenities, the right everything that you would expect, but it's done in what I call an appropriate luxury. It's appropriate. It's appropriate for the environment. It's appropriate for the people, and it's appropriate for your consumer. Uh -huh. So I think putting all of those things together, and we're always learning, you know. Yes. We, Chris, Chris and I will always say, tell us what's wrong. We, you know, we know we're pretty good at what we do, but we, we mostly want to know how we can do better. Sure. And, sure. Uh, yeah. and that's key. Yeah. I, I'm getting goosebumps hearing your description. And before we are, before, again, we hit record, you said, look, I need to come visit. My wife and I will come and visit because I want to experience this. You and I and many of our listeners are all about service. And it's the anticipation of guest needs. And I like to say over-delivering. If yeah. someone wants a, a bottle of water and you give yeah. them a bottle of water, that is, that's the basis. That's the low, yeah. of, low of entry. I need something. You have something great. But what is the aspect of over-delivering? and of observing and caring to be aware and daring to take action. 
how would you describe the service with your local employees with this spirited energy? What does service look like in Sumba at your resort? Uh, perfectly imperfect. Wow. <laughs> That's the only way to describe it. Huh. And uh, I I think that um, the Sumanese are extraordinary human beings, but Sumanese still live with their above the animals in a very raw, rugged environment. Mm-hmm. I love the philosoph- philosophical values of Ritz Carlton. Uh, inspect what you expect is still a very big mantra of mine and, and that I inculcate throughout every organization that I've been in, in my Rosewood days in working, in trying to create a culture there, which and there wasn't. Everyone was independent in my era and then we we worked on on, on creating a culture. But uh, I think perfectly, the, the, we constantly have to focus on what I call now items. This podcast is being brought to you by Team Barman at Conference Direct. If you are in the meeting and event world, you know that often you are so very busy with multiple tasks. Sometimes you might not have all the resources. You might not have enough time. You might not have enough staff. This is where Team Barman at Conference Direct really comes in to assist. They have the perfect solution. They can help by saving time and effort, by assisting with personalized event planning services. They will help optimize your resources to ensure the best possible outcomes. All that you need to do is have a simple discovery call to chat with Doug or a member of his team. The easiest way to reach Doug is via email. His email address is Doug, D-O-U-G, dot barman, B-A-A-R-M-A-N, at conferencedirect.com. If someone calls that they want a box of matches, it's because they need it now. Mm-hmm. There's some things that are immediate because that there's just, it has to be. There's a reason they need it. And, and I think it's disseminating this sort of training and information. We have what are called captains. Captains are because we have to get more and more people learning to speak English. A lot of them do now, most do. And it's getting better all the time. English is a key part of the training and development because it's the core to understanding. And the captain looks after you from the, your arrival of your journey and essentially is, is, is what would be a butler in another place. But it's above that because if you go hiking or you go to the spa safari, which is a whole another concept, it's 100 acres that's uh, sort of five kilometers away from uh, Nihi itself where you have treatments all day and a food cooked on a fire, but you will walk there. If, you, if most people do, or you can go on a safari vehicle, but your captain will actually walk you there and they'll be with you. So they're sort of a game ranger in Africa, but they are with you at all times servicing you. So they are the pivotal point, getting back to your question from the service experience. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think as we get better about learning about, uh, you know, in our new sort of spa safari experience, we are going to have a, a butterfly house and that's where you will relax before you actually go for your treatment with butterflies mm. and it's it's creativity and doing things that if you can think something and it, it it can be done we can do it and i think through innovation and always trying to be creative we can execute these things and train you know over 90 percent of our employees are Sumanese, which is a core part of of, of, of hiring locals and a core part of what we do tied to the Sumba Foundation and philanthropy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the, you, it's, it's, it's tough, but because they're very kind people, you get back to perfectly imperfect where we do get away with things often that other places wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And not that I'm accepting that. We always focusing to do better and to strive to do better, but it does happen. Yeah, and it reminds me, James, and I'll share this with you quickly. As long as the authenticity is there, is the sense that I'm getting. Like I, I, I came, I went to a hotel not that long ago, and um, was known and was promoting themselves as luxury. And the person that I ran into was a maintenance gentleman, very, very informal. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the hotel, brother. 
And it didn't bother me because he was genuine and he was authentic and he didn't need to say certain words that were going to be robotic. I could feel it in his heart that he was being real and was truly happy that I was there. And that's unique, right? That is unique in the world of, of service and unique in the world of hospitality these days, that it's okay to be perfectly imperfect. And I shared the story of when I started with, at Ritz-Carlton, one of the housekeepers on my first day greeted me by saying, good morning. Well, I was in the employee cafeteria. I was there for lunch. I wanted to say the perfect response, but I thought, well, if it was morning, I wouldn't be having lunch because I would be eating lunch in the afternoon, but officially it was 1130 AM. So that is morning. James, I was so twisted in my mind about being perfect that I didn't say anything back. Embarrassed me, taught me to my soul. I just need to be me because I could have said anything. I could have said, Hey, how are you? High five. What's going on? What's going on? I, I could have responded in any way the worst thing that i could have done was not to respond so i love your message james it is okay to be perfectly imperfect <laughs> it, it, it's also not okay too it's okay but it's not so I, but it was the simplest way to answer your question because i'm yeah. not going to say we perfect and everything's because it isn't i mean that's yeah. just uh yeah. There's always there's always room for improvement. Yes. In in the awards, and again, we, we will get to some of the development, the de developmental properties that you are working on. In order to be able to win world's best hotel, what are some stories that guests have shared with you from their Nihi Sumba experience? Anything come to mind? No, I, I think just as a general rule, um, Ni Sumba in real life is way better than it is on any website or magazine. And as you come over the top of the hill and you just see this two and a half kilometer beach and you arrive in this wild place where you actually feel completely safe, mm. uh, it's beautifully appointed and it's expansive. Mm. So it exceeds, it just exceeds everyone's, uh, wildest dreams, you know, you think it's going to be something. And when we won, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of these awards, I actually was very, very nervous, to be honest, of uh, that, you know, people come with these ex expectations that we wouldn't be able to to meet. And that hasn't been the case, fortunately. And I think we've evolved the experience. But I, I think it's honestly, it's a culmination of the, the, the beauty of the land of Sumba, the beauty of the people, the design, execution of the service experience, all of the activities, you know, it's we have almost a private wave in front. Um, the horses are probably the most famous horses in the world now. They are uh, on every digital platform and going swimming with the horses, the spa safari, chocolate factory, waterfall. And you don't share these things with anyone. And they're just, they're, if you look at the whole experience, mm -hmm. And why do we have sort of 50% of our, our summer guests all come back every year? Because there isn't another place like it. Right. And, and I'm not just saying that because we're involved in it. And, and people are very jaded in the world because if you've been on safari, you've been here, you've been to all of these places, everyone thinks that they've seen everything. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, we are, are fortunate that people choose to come and stay with us, they say, well, we, we understand now. And that, you know, Bart, very interesting from a sales perspective. Yeah. When we do a, a, a fam trip or have an agent come and stay, the bookings just come immediately. It, it, it's so measurable. So if you go to uh, further east, the, the show in, in Bali every year, we probably get 30 or 40 agents over. And the, it, it just the, the change once people see it and touch it is immediate. Wow. Because it, 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 it just resounds and, and it, um, it has to be experienced. And it's just one, one of those places that – when you see it and you understand it and when you sell it and your customer says, have you been? And they say, have we been? It's the greatest place we've ever been. They speak with such confidence that, you know, no one's going to say, well, I'm not going to go. Where if right. someone says, yeah, I've heard it's great and it's all of these things, but if you haven't seen it, people always like, but you haven't been. 
So that's been a, a key part of our success is getting people to to see it. Right. And uh, right. and uh, our, our digital, which from 2012 on has been a has, has been a big part of getting the word out. Yeah, James, I want to touch upon two things, and again, I could talk to you all day. Uh, and we might need to even schedule a follow-up call because this is extremely interesting, not only for me, but most importantly for our listeners. As you were just describing your resort in Sumba, I know you're expanding, Nihi is expanding to Costa Rica and then also in Rote, uh, Rote, Rote, Rote Island, Rote Island west, which is an hour east of Sumba, yes. West Timor, Indonesia. Yeah. How? What is your vision, and what is your and Chris's vision on what is going to make those resorts, those properties, unique and different from Sumba? Just because we've been spending most of the time right now, because I'm asking the questions about Sumba, the culture, the tribal history, the authenticity. Mm-hmm. What? How do you think your Costa Rica property will be different? And mm-hmm. your Roti Island property will be different or similar. Uh, Costa Rica is an unbelievable piece of real estate to start off with. So you're starting off with, with uh, just great fundamentals with our partner there, Ronald, Ronald Zercher. Ronald is a uh, built Four Seasons in Papagayo. He's the foremost architect. And it's, this has got another story attached to it. But mm. uh, we, were, we were doing another project in Costa Rica. And I said to, to Ronald, yeah, this is that's a good project, but we're looking for a place that's got a wave, has horses, it's got a lot of space and all. And he said, "Well, I have a farm that has all of that round the corner from the Four Seasons." I said, "Can we go and look at it?" And uh, I said, "Why did you do that, Ronald?" And he said, "Well, when I was doing the Four Seasons, a friend of mine said to me, buy all the land around the Four Seasons you can, because <laughs> it's going to be very valuable one day.'" And I did. I actually listened, and Ronald bought a, a massive farm twenty years ago whatever, 18 years ago, just around the corner from Papagayo between Santa Rosa National Park. And he took me there as a surf wave, which is rock is 10 minutes away, has two polo fields. We, as a question, is a very big part of what he, what we do. So over a thousand acres. And that's how that journey began. So firstly, it's two and a half hours from Miami. You've got a, a, a dry forest. You've got extraordinary beauty. You've got the Costa Rican culture. You've got you know, it'll have a more contemporary feel from a design perspective. Mm-hmm. We'll have an amazing spa safari built above the waterfall. So you have all of these different components with the, with the, with the South American twist. So right. is it going to be exactly what Ni Sumba is? No, but it's going to be it's it's Costa Rican interpretation of of, right. of what we do. Got it. And, and, then uh, also, and then I'm also sure that you will be doing the same type of based on the culture that you and Chris have created about giving back to the local community, yes. yeah, right? fostering projects such as clean water and clinics and lunches for yes. school children. The thing, the, the thing in Costa Rica is they have great medical because they don't have an army. So all of their money gets spent on, on education mm. and medical. So I think with Ronald and, and Chris, we have to, we have to figure out what the right angle is, but philanthropic and that could be the restoration of, of Santa Rosa national park. I mean, there were, We've seen one or two Jaguars walking across the construction area. Wow. And right in Santa Rosa National Park, but there are no roads in there yet. And people can't visit it. So I think it could easily become a part of, of our, our social responsibility to bring to rewild. It's, it's already wild, so it doesn't need to be rewilded, but it needs to be rediscovered. Yeah. And in, in Rote, Rote has also got a beautiful wave in front of it. It's got a different feel because Rote is a little bit more Caribbean and uh our, our partner there is Michael Schwab, and uh, and it is um, you can go for a cappuccino, you can go to a little restaurant. You, it's got some life. It has a wave. It's got extraordinary diving. It has islands close by, and it's got a little bit of a softer feel in Sumba. Okay. So, and then we're very in the early early stages of 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 doing a, a project in Komodo, which is just north of Sumba. Komodo is where the Komodo dragons are, mm-hmm. and they have islands which will have overwater villas. And that's just in the in the, in the early stage where um, Rote is is fifty percent built. So we're going to create hopefully a little circuit in Indonesia where you can sort of go to three would be the plan. And then all the way on the other side of the world, we have uh, we have Costa Rica, which will be very very close for our north and south american friends and the europeans because the airlift into liberia airport is one of the best in the world 
Amazing. Yeah. And I was, excuse me, looking at the website prior to our call and doing research for our conversations, the imagery, it does not look real. And if you are sharing that when you are there, that if the pictures aren't doing it justice, you really need to go there. You need to see the properties, the resorts to be able to experience it. James, last two questions for you. As a leader, as an entrepreneur, as someone that has embraced hospitality, what characteristics do you think make a good leader? I think uh, being being a, a a good leader in hospitality, and this this came from from Simon Cooper actually. Uh, many don't know can't be the judge of when they're in the orchestra and when they're in the audience. And the more senior they get in the business, uh, where many go wrong is they actually think that they are in the audience, but forget that they're in the orchestra. Wow. Love that. Love that. So being able to have the mindset that... You you, you, you have to have the mindset to, you know, it, 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 the mindset is to where you are the where you are the whether the host or where you are enjoying and where you are able to be a consummate diplomat and where you know when regardless of, of if it's the steward or I still remember one of my first weeks at the Grosvenor House in the Great Room, which is the biggest ballroom in, in Europe at that time with 12, 1300 people. And I went and washed the dishes with the stewards and English, England is very formal, and this is you know almost twenty years ago, and they were, they were like rattled completely that I was there with them, but it's it just laid a foundation for me to be very successful mm-hmm. because you are able to integrate and and it makes all the difference in the world. And I think just the the, the other thing is um, always be having a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And even if things are bad, you can always humor breaks every. It just it helps. It soothes. It heals. And as bad as things may be, as a leader, never lose your sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, never be too important, mm-hmm. because if you think you're too important, you you will always fail. And you know, I, I think some of the the best people that I've, I've hired in life or spoken to, have people that have reached out to me on LinkedIn or different things and said. You know, I we did we did after I did HBS when we opened Washington. We did a, a case with uh, with uh, Harvard on the opening of its called Washington D.C. and it's still mm-hmm. taught to this day. Mm-hmm. And I get calls from all over the world saying, "Would you speak and speak to the case?" This is many many years later, and I always say yes. People say, "Oh, but you why would you do?" And I say, "You know what? I always remember where I come from, and I will always speak and help people. And I've hired so many good people. The person who runs." Our digital and marketing called me from Venezuela about that case six years ago where he didn't have a job and he was at school. And and Isaac, uh, I spoke about the case and he said, can can I do something for you? I said, well, look at our digital. I'll give you a few hundred bucks a month. He did an amazing job. Then he came to Washington. He went to Georgetown. He worked. He graduated. And he works. He's been in our lives now for six or seven years. But it started off as a journey of finding me on LinkedIn. And I always say... Always show up. People say, why is always show up? If someone says, go, go. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah. You never know who you're going to meet. You never know what it's going to entail or what. And and things happen. Yes, a lot of the time nothing happens. But if you don't show up, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, you need to show up and you need to take action. And the, the name of my company, you need to do what most people don't. There are so many people. Right, there's, there's a quote, James, that you'll appreciate. A ship in a harbor is safe but that's not what ships are meant for. When we look at the advent- the adventurous nature of your career, James McBride, you have seen, you have discovered, you're not afraid of failure, you're confident, you're humble, you're still funny, you help people, you use your resources, you are creative, all of those things. And that maybe is the answer to the question that you didn't give yourself credit for, what are the characteristics of being a great leader? Those things, as I just described you, I believe are characteristics of making a great leader. James McBride, I cannot thank you enough. And I do like to incorporate this one last question 
if you had to fill in the blanks for the name of the company, most people don't blank. What would you say? Most people don't write the handwritten thank you note. So true. So true. And my guess is that you are still a person that does and you continue to write personal thank you notes. Am I right? Uh, I could do better, but I do do it. Yes. Yes. Uh. And I, I did it a lot more, but I try to instill that in everyone. If someone going for an interview is 21 or two, my son, I say, yeah, man, did you write a note? And he's got a beautiful space. He writes a note. I said, it's going to give you a leg up. It's so easy. <laughs> yes. Have the note written already in your if, if if you're alive and leave it at the desk after your interview, and the person's gonna say, Oh my god, this is amazing. It gives you an extra, it gives you an extra chance. It takes you five minutes. It is simple, it is so simple. And I was doing research because I do share the story of when I was a recruiter for Ritz Carlton going back to the day, I would comment on people that would follow up. The open rate for a handwritten note sent to someone's home address is almost a hundred percent the open rate for email marketing on average is something like 22 percent after an interview yeah sure send an email but if you send a handwritten note it is certainly going to make a difference uh, james mcbride cannot thank you enough i wanted to share some of your details here before giving you the final word of course uh nihi.com n-i-h-i.com incredible uh, not only current property in Sumba, but some new development for Costa Rica and then also in Roti Island. A few other things. Again, congratulations. The property in Sumba uh, rated by Travel and Leisure Magazine, number one hotel in the world. So many incredible things. And James, after talking to you, and I could certainly understand some of the descriptors that I was reading about you. It is your creativity, your authenticity, your clever marketing techniques combined with your hotel experiences growing up in South Africa have brought you full circle into this world with Chris and with your other developers of being able to make unique and memorable experiences for so many people while giving back to the local community. Uh, James, I'm just uh, blown away by your stories, by your sincerity, and by your contributions. And just what an honor to be able to chat with you. Thank you so much, Bart. It's been a truly, truly an honor as well. And uh, it's been an, been an amazing journey. And uh, I'm so happy for your success too. But uh, we've, we've got a long way to go. I've got a lot, a lot to learn. And um, we always hope to get better and improve every day. Oh, thank you, James. I really appreciate it. James McBride with Nihi Hotels. Thank you, sir. Thank you.